Hey fam, happy holidays. Hope everyone is doing great. Welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman. Today, our guest is Mr. Christian Meyer, a former pro cyclist and current pro trail runner who has become a huge inspiration to me. In addition to being a great athlete, Christian has founded a handful of very cool businesses in his adopted hometown of Girona, Spain. Christian and I met in the opening miles of Ultra Pirineu, a 100-kilometer race that we both ran in Catalonia in October. And a few days after the race, Harmony and I went and met Christian in Girona, one of the coolest sporting cities in the world. He was kind enough to host us for a meal at his cafe. He took me for a run and we became fast friends, launching into long conversations about the intersection between sport and business, about opportunities that exist within trail running at the moment. So naturally, I wanted to record a conversation and share it here in podcast form. We recorded this a couple months ago already now, and we're finally getting around to publishing it. But just a couple weeks ago, Christian finished a very strong fourth place at the Thailand by UTMB 100K, the Asian major as part of the UTMB World Series. So uh, big congrats to Christian on that result. We didn't get around to talking to it just because we recorded this well before that accomplishment. But this is one of those episodes where we don't talk a ton about running, but instead talk about how sport inspires us and shapes the things that we create and contribute to the world. So I hope you enjoy getting to know Christian in this conversation. As always, the Free Trail Podcast is presented by our good friends at Speedland, the boutique trail equipment brand based in Portland, Oregon, where I am actually broadcasting right now. I'm going to meet Dave and Kevin tomorrow talking about deepening our partnership in 2023 and beyond. So if you haven't yet, go pre-order a pair or two of the GS Tam, my new signature shoe in the third commission in the Speedland product portfolio. These things make a great Christmas present for the runner in your life or for yourself. So go grab a pair, runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off of your pre-order. Double EVA midsole, Michelin outsole, plate compatibility, trademark, Speedland, quality and durability. It is the full package. I promise you won't regret investing in this product. Runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10. Finally, if you enjoy the show, please consider joining FREETRAIL PRO, the membership community for passionate trail runners around the world. Join the free trail slack come to our weekly office hours zoom calls use our catalog of training plans and training materials get discounts deeper discounts with our brand partners and a lot more the free trail pro community is the single thing i am most proud of and that has made me most happy in 2022 it's a source of daily inspiration and we would love to have you part of it visit freetrail.com click the button at the top right of the home screen that says join free trail pro or you can find the link here in the show notes okay hope you guys enjoy this episode corinne and i will share our year-end recap episode of the next few days but uh thanks for being here hope you have a wonderful holiday season Christian Meyer, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Good to see you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. 
It is a pleasure to have you here. Uh, I was going to attempt to do this in person when we met in Girona, but realized that I had forgotten to bring a critical piece of podcasting infrastructure with me. Uh, so glad to, to coordinate it here over the miracle of Zoom. It's early morning here in the United States, an evening where you live there in Girona, but you and I uh, met a couple weeks ago in the opening miles of Aldra Pirineu, and then you were generous to host <laughs> Harmony and I for breakfast at your cafe in Girona. We went for a run while we were there. So um, yeah, really, really happy to have you on the show. And you've created a lot of really interesting businesses where you live. And I want to just mm. kind of launch into a conversation about kind of the intersection of sport and business and lifestyle and culture. Cause it seems like you really have your finger on the pulse and have created just so many cool things in the world. So maybe first, uh, just, uh, say hello to the audience, give people a quick, uh, background as to who you are and how you see yourself in the world. Wow. Wow. Okay. Who am I? It's a good question. Uh, well, I'm a Canadian guy, uh, living in now current living in, in Girona, Spain. I was a professional cyclist for most of my life until now. So, uh, I started cycling as a young guy and absolutely fell in love with it and decided that I just wanted to ride my bike every day. And the best way for me to do that was to become a professional. So I kind of told my parents, you know, no, I'm gonna uh, I'm just gonna become a professional cyclist, and I kind of packed up and went to Belgium for a while, and and I had no plan. I mean, I had no real plan on how I was going to do it, but uh, I thought I just need to jump in and launch in and see what happens. And um, you know, I sort of always viewed it as you can really accomplish anything you set your mind to. And you know, for me, there was no there was no option other than becoming a cyclist. Um, and it was, you know, definitely, uh, not an easy path. I mean, it was a lot of, uh, living in Canada, especially where I'm from the East coast where it's quite rural. Cycling is not a big cult. Uh, it's not a big sport. It doesn't have a huge culture. Um, and then you go to Europe where these young guys, I mean, they start racing when they're, you know, seven years old. So the depth in Europe was so incredibly deep compared to what we were used to in, in North America. And so those early days, the, the learning curve was enormous. And I sort of figured out over after a few years that generally the development that happened for a young guy in, or a young person in Europe would take a North American approximately two years. Um, because we didn't have the same stimulus in terms of, um, uh, racing and we didn't have the same, you know, obviously the same depth. So it took us a little bit longer, but you could always get there. I mean, the, the thing was kind of not giving up and persevering and, and just putting your nose to the grindstone. And then eventually, eventually got there and, uh, moved to Europe in, in to Girona in 2008. My wife and I moved over. It was my, when I signed my first contract, which was at the time was an American team, uh, Garmin Slipstream, um, who they had sort of transitioned out. So they were a new team starting out um, at the top level of sport. And a lot of the infrastructure had sort of come come across from what was kind of U.S. postal in terms of some of the staff and, and different things. And then there was a little bit of a history in Girona because just before that, a few people had lived here. Obviously, famously, Lance spent some time here, but more so George Hincapie, Christian Vandeveld, David Zabriskie, 
those kind of guys were were in Girona. So there's a very small nucleus. Then Slipstream put the base here, a few more riders. We were 10 to 12 riders at that time, but Girona would have been the sleepiest town you've ever been to. And slowly more guys started to come because um, there was kind of an English-speaking community here, so it was kind of more easy to integrate. And that that group of professionals sort of grew and grew and grew. Um, where, as I mentioned to you, at our peak, we were probably about a hundred professional cyclists living in Girona, which, you know, by far would have been the highest concentration of anywhere in the world. Um, and then that sort of led to this, um, you know, people starting to ask all these questions and news outlets. Well, why are all these professionals living here? What's so great about Girona? Right. And then that started to build this momentum where we started to see some cycle tourism growing and an influx a little bit more of, of expats and then you know it sort of built what we see today which is kind of a a you know probably one of the premier cycling destinations in the world at the moment yeah it certainly and seemed that way to so, me yeah. that's a visitor it seemed like every single person was kitted out in like the most premium cycling apparel and riding beautiful machines around town so it was a really yeah, I mean, cool vibe yeah, it's an absolutely amazing place to ride bikes. I mean, it's it's really cool. Um, and now, you know, the, the town itself has developed really great infrastructure and, and all that sort of stuff around cycling. So that really helps. Um, and so I raced, uh, I raced probably pressing about 10 years almost. And then, um, you know, I was very fortunate. It was an amazing time of, uh, of our lives. Um and, you know, I got to race the Tour de France and the Giro and the Vuelta and, and you know, kind of all of those big races in the world. And, you know, looking back, especially now when you kind of, you know, have a look in the rearview mirror a bit, you know, it's really an exceptional period to think about, you know, yeah. when you like when you watch the Tour de France now and thinking that, you know, the time when you were there, you know, and you were racing it and you were living that experience um it's yeah. absolutely wild you know in the moment it's kind of like it's cool obviously i mean it, it's yeah. it's like nothing else but when you step back some years later and you look at it and you think wow like i was pretty good at biking once <laughs> <You know>? yeah <laughs> uh, but uh but yeah so that then then kind of carried on and um after the tour de france uh, we i i mean for me to do the tour de france was something quite exceptional you know yeah. I, I was always a, always a domestique and I was telling you a little bit, like for me to go was, you know, all the stars would really have to align to make that Tour de France team. Um, and one year it did, which was, uh, which was super amazing. And, but then after that, we sort of, you know, my wife and I went to the beach one day and, you know, cycling, I mean, many sports are, but I think cycling also, it's, it's a very, at the end of the day, it's a very selfish sport. Yeah. You know, like I did cycling for me and, you know, I had my wife here and she supported me, you know, for those, uh, you know, the first eight years we we're here in Girona, um, it was full on, you know, just supporting me and, and helping me in my day to day to be like the best bike rider I can be. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I'm, I'm always grateful for her, uh, for providing me that opportunity in my life to really just go and do what I wanted. And, 
but she herself was a very kind of uh, ambitious person. She loved to work. Um, she loved hospitality. And, you know, we kind of were sitting on the beach there and it was a bit of a chat about, well, you know, what are we going to do next? Maybe, you know, now we sort of reached this pinnacle because everybody is kind of, as a rider, the tour is kind of the pinnacle of your career, you know, like really that's the crowning jewel really. Um, and to sort of reach that goal and succeeded there, it was sort of this, well, now what sort of moment, you know? Um, and Amber kind of was hoping to get back to working and doing something and being around people and that, and I sort of had started this budding passion for 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 coffee and specialty coffee. And, you know, we kind of just sat there and eventually figured out that, you know, maybe we should open were, a cafe. You were ready for the next chapter. It's yeah. super cool. So, yeah, thanks for the, the yeah. you know, quick, deep background. And I want to expand on a lot of that stuff. But yeah. maybe first foreshadowing to kind of what we'll talk about later. Were you always a creative and entrepreneurial kid growing up? Like seeing how many cool businesses you and your wife have created there in Girona. I wonder if there was a creative streak that was alive and well when you were but a young cyclist in Eastern Canada. Do you see the through line there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, when I grew up, uh, I loved, like as a kid, I was drawing. I used to do uh, for a long time, I was doing wood carving and carpentry and building stuff. I love building stuff. Um, and my whole family, actually, my parents are both, uh, German immigrants and my, my mom's side of the family. I mean, she came over with her, um, her whole extended family, more or less, uh, which were 11 kids back then, uh, and they were in Germany, they were farmers and they moved to Canada to to start um, sort of a new life, I guess. And that was in the 70s. And they started a so they had um, a farm, a restaurant and a butcher shop. So it was kind of like a full farm to table sort of thing going on there. And then my father was uh, was a machinist. And um, but he was, you know, my father was, you know, a true salt of the earth kind of guy, like built the house that we grew up in, uh, from scratch, you know, it's kind of a, has all the skills, you know, all the skills. Um, so it was kind of like, I mean, yeah, we were definitely surrounded by entrepreneurial people and, and skillful people and, and kind of creative people my, my whole life. Yeah. So going back to what you were talking about with your cycling career, Maybe describe the experience of racing these grand tours, the Vuelta, the Giro, the Tour de France for a running audience as you've become more ingratiated and connected to the running community. How do you describe the experience of racing in those events? I mean, it's it's absolutely wild. I mean, it's it's definitely it's massive. I mean, I think if I would if I would uh, sort of, um, describe it as another sport. It would probably be closest to formula one, really. I mean, when you see the infrastructure that goes into a team where we have mechanics and buses and trucks and cars, and you know, you, when you go to a, a grand tour, you were now it's changed, but it used to be nine riders. Um, you had nine riders and then you probably had about 20 staff there. Um, yeah. you know, everything from, a chef. So every day we have our own chef who's cooking all the meals. 
Um, you've got all your masseuses, your mechanics, your directors. Uh, you've got people there for, um, you know, you've got your marketing people. You've got the full range of, of skills there. And, you know, it's, it's, it's gone to this point where, I mean, I think a lot of people would understand the term now, sort of marginal gains. Um, but the level was getting so high. I mean, the things that you're starting to look at, um, like when I started my career, nobody had a chef, like nobody went to a race with a chef. Yeah. And by the end of, by the end of my career, there wouldn't be a team at the Tour de France that didn't have a chef, um, to the biggest teams having a truck that was specifically with a kitchen inside and the sides that come out and the riders actually eat in there. So there's a dining room in there also. Yeah. Um, down to your mattresses getting changed. Some teams would have uh, a whole team in a separate vehicle. Well, actually two teams because they go one day ahead. They'll go to the hotel room, vacuum out the whole room, take the mattresses out, put in their own mattresses. Why? So that, <laughs> because the idea is, is, is that, you know, everything is about recovery and yeah. And sleeping every night on the same mattress, same uh, pillow, and it's kind of like guaranteeing a good night's sleep. Because you have to understand, like even at the Tour of France, I mean, so you have to go to sometimes these small towns where you need to find accommodation for probably five to six hundred people a night plus. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's kind of excluding the Tour of France staff. You know, like it's a huge thing, right? So. Some nights, even though you think, okay, you're at the pinnacle of the sport, you're racing the Tour of France, you can be at a Formula One, which is like, you know, the equivalent of the cheapest motel you might find in a, you know, down some back highway in, in middle of nowhere. Um, so, you know, it can be, and the other night you can be staying in some beautiful castle, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's more about how, how can we manage a certain level of recovery and have a certain amount of of uh, just standardized things that the riders are used to having every day um, that will allow them to recover better. I mm. mean, it's, it's, you're talking, you, you start getting into things where it's, you know, it's tiny. We're talking half a percent, you know, is the difference between winning a Tour de France and losing a Tour de France. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely very organized. Riders are very, babied um everything is taken care of you literally just ride your bike you know um but on the flip side it's it's ultra demanding i mean you're doing in a grand tour it's it's 21 days uh you're racing every day um the tour de france more than anything is a race every single day yeah there's not there's not a cruisy day in the tour de france you know in the well <laughs> In, in the Vuelta, the Giro, it's a bit different, um, but the Tour de France is the pinnacle. It's all eyes on there, you know, um, the viewership, the money, everything. Most team sponsors revolve around the Tour de France because that's yeah. where they're paying the big bucks to see the, you know, eyes on the TV. So every day is, is you know, no team doesn't, no team wants to miss the breakaway um or you're winning the stage or so every day is just full um so if you were actually you know to have a good look at a for example a, a training peak training peaks block of a rider and how they you know the the load of doing a, a grand tour is is 
pretty phenomenal. I mean, it's yeah. pretty astronomical. So, yeah. yeah. So crazy, man. And what a mm. great life experience to, uh, you know, keep in the back of your memory bank for the rest of your days, <laughs> having finished yeah. the Tour de France. Like, what a fantastic yeah. achievement. So sort of like as we move between the subject of sport and business, as I've learned the determination and discipline and problem solving that has always served me well as an athlete has been massively helpful as I've sort of found myself in the role of founder. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything there from your professional athletic days that you think has really contributed to the success of your various businesses there in Girona, any of the, uh, the attitude or the process and the systems of sport that have contributed to mm. your life as a founder? Definitely. I mean, having spoken to, to other sort of, um, cyclists as they near the sort of end of their career, um, and cycling is one of those sports I feel more than others where riders or yeah, or the athlete maybe tends to suffer because they start really young and it's changing slowly now, but it was very old school in that, you know, you really, you had to dedicate a lot of time, right? You know, one of the thing, great things about running is, is you can achieve quite a lot with let's say a normal amount of time. Like you can still, you could probably still balance studying on the side. I mean, you can do, but a lot of professional cyclists, I mean, they go and they didn't do any schooling. They do anything they got in the world. And then it's just, it's full gas right to the end. Yep. And then you see when they come to the end of their careers that they generally tend to have this real struggle to make that transition. Um, many end up staying in the sport, either be, you know, becoming a director of the team or sort of different things. But, um, but one thing I've talked to people who, who have kind of asked me about my experience is that I think as an athlete, especially professional athlete, man, you, you're, you're miles ahead. Like when you step into kind of what I consider the real world, I mean, you have, you have something ingrained in you that is, is giving you an advantage already yeah. because you're used to one, you're used to, you're being self-motivated, you know, your training is up to you, right? Like if you don't train, it's your choice, but then you're not going to get the results. Right. And you start to then understand that, okay, what I put in is what I get out. Right. And, and you're willing to put in a lot. You know, you're used to putting in a lot every day. And then when you step out of that world and in and and then into a business world, you kind of think, oh, well, actually, like, wow, like I'm I'm kind of used to giving a lot more yeah. than I am, even just just to like in the day to day. So one, I think you have a really big capacity for you know workload and stress. Um and you generally are self-motivated. Um and you understand what I'm putting in is what I'm going to get out. And yeah. you're really willing, if it's something you're passionate about, you're willing to put the work in and you're willing to grind. And I think that's a huge benefit of sport. And I think that's a huge benefit of, of I think, for young people doing sport and being on teams and 
And that is just to have exposure to that when they're young and, you know, understand those principles, I think is super important and, and really helps you in life. Yeah. Yeah. What a great point. So let's get a little bit more specific about the businesses that you've started. And I'd love to start with the origin story of La Fabrica. When I was having breakfast with you there, you said that you quit your contract with a year remaining on it in order for you and your wife to kind of bring that thing into reality. So enlighten the audience as to what this cafe is, the ideation process and the origin story behind it. Yeah, cool. I mean, the fabric was our, our first business. Um, it's the one that we decided when we were sitting that day on the beach of, you know, let, let's do something. Um, and I love coffee. My wife loved hospitality. She had studied hospitality. Um, she's also Canadian. She, she had studied in hospitality before we came over. And it was sort of, um, at that time, specialty coffee didn't really exist in, in Girona and also didn't really exist in, in Spain. La Fabrica became, you know, our our next step. And when we started, I was originally still riding my bike. Uh, I was still racing uh, once we had opened the doors. And, you know, we started at a time where people didn't understand specialty coffee. You know, uh, uh, an espresso here in a local bar would be a euro. And, you know, we were going to, you know, we were charging double that. And, you know, it was... But for us, it was kind of the moment we opened that door, it was already kind of a, a success in our mind because, um, you know, Amber was doing something that she loved to do. Um, she felt like she was fulfilling a bit of her of her craving for being out there and being on people and working and, and sort of just kind of getting into it, you know. And for me, it's kind of on the coffee side. It was really amazing because... Um, allowed me to sort of express myself there and and do all that but it was an absolute an absolute grind at the beginning you know it's uh and when you were visiting you probably noticed that in most places now english is is spoken pretty frequently you know it's 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 quite an easy place to be now as a as an anglophone but in those days um it definitely was not that i mean to understand Girona and Catalonia, Catalonia has sort of this, uh, it has its own language. It has a bit of this real pride about its culture. It went through a big phase of pushing for independence a couple of years ago. And in, in that movement, Girona is like the heart, the beating heart of the Catalan sort of uh, independence movement. So, you know, here in that time, it was people were speaking Catalan only, you know, even if you try to speak Spanish to someone, it was it was Catalan back. And it's 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 a completely different language. I mean, it's not easy uh, to understand um, or for us kind of to learn. So it was it was a push. You know, we had some help from a from, from a local guy in the beginning setting up the business, which really helped. Um, but, you know, we got we opened and then we got shut down because we had the wrong sort of license. And I mean, it was everything happened. Everything that could have happened happened. Um, and then it was just over the years building it and and slowly just kind of pouring ourselves into it um to what you what you kind of experienced experience now so i did uh, a couple of years where we had la fabrica and then we opened a couple of others at the same time we did all those while i was still racing and then eventually i got to a point where i kind of thought um 
you know, I got to a point in my career where I felt I had sort of kind of peaked. And for me, at that time, it was something really amazing in my professional career because, um, you know, when you're an athlete, you, especially professional athlete, and you have a lot of time, you become really, I mean, you go really deep into what you're doing, you know, and you tend to really overanalyze a lot of things, you know, is my saddle too high? How do I feel today? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but when you have this external input from something that's really cool, that's exciting you, uh, you kind of let that go. And, you know, it was a, a period of my career, the year that we opened La Fabrica, the next year was actually the best year of my career because I just had something else to focus on. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah. And it just allowed me to, you know, this is my training. I'm going out and I'm doing that. Um, you know, I don't even really overanalyze the numbers of the watts I'm supposed to be doing in these, in these intervals. I just went out, did them come back and then go work in a cafe. And I was just excited yeah. to get back to do it, you know? Um, and it just kind of disconnected you a bit from the intensity of what that sport was, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was really amazing. And then just kind of got to the point after, uh, I think I did a cry a couple of years and then we had opened a couple other businesses at that time. And then I decided that I kind of decided that I got into a point in my professional career where I felt like I had sort of peaked in terms of, you know, this is sort of the best cyclist I'm going to be. I got to do the best races, um, that I've always wanted to do. And right now, I could very easily sort of settle in and let's like, okay, I'm going to coast out another five years here, um, you know, get a good salary, do the races. But it was sort of starting to become like Groundhog Day. You know, you're doing the same races every year, you know, yeah. and at that level, it's not quite like, you know, in, in trail, I mean, there's, you know, quite a few of the top races, but there's so many races you could go and do. Right. around the world, you know, and you choose what races you want to do. And in cycling, you know, there's that world tour, which is these races that yeah. all the teams do every year. So, I mean, there's races that I did every single year of my career. Yeah. And so it's almost like, the, like, it's almost like you're, you're a pro athlete, but your career is not necessarily yours, especially when you're a domestique, you know, you're serving mm -hmm. the yeah. leader of the team and obviously yeah the team itself is the one who chooses the races that you do whereas in trail running right. have a lot more independence, which is probably something for a personality like yours that you yeah. covet. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's exactly, I mean, that's a perfect way to describe it. I mean, you just go and what I loved so much about uh, cycling was the sport part, the training and, and, and all that. And then yeah. the camaraderie of, of achieving goals as a team and things like that. Like those are things that really draw you to it. But you know, when you think about going to a race, there's a couple that are quite cool, but most of the time, I mean, you go to a place, you're so focused during the race, you don't see anything, you don't do anything. It's just, you're there, eat, sleep, ride in the race. You're so focused. You don't take in the beautiful scenery. And like when you get to watch the tour on TV and then yeah. like the beautiful helicopter footage of the Alps and this, you know, you're just glued to the wheel in front of you kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so then I decided, okay, look, I'm, I'm prefer to, to, to kind of move on from the cycling and then, you know, get, get sort of stuck into these businesses and, and continue to ride. I mean, that's a great thing. I can right. still, 
enjoy my sport. Um, so and critically, I did still like have... the, the business is sort of built around cycling. I mean, it's it obviously is. like it a <laughs> cycling cafe that's become an institution with road cyclists who either live in Girona or they're on training camp or vacation. So one of the yeah, other things true. that I think we have in common is that we both work very closely with our wives and you got to meet harmony uh and we talked yeah, yeah, this yeah. as a has a yeah. uh, trifecta while we were sitting outside yeah. la fabrica yeah. Yeah. Uh, i didn't yeah. get a chance to meet your wife because she was out of town but i'd love to hear yeah. about her a little bit and about your guys's yeah. uh relationship as co-founders in all these different businesses and what ways you complement one another yeah i mean i think that's it's pretty amazing um to be able to do that you know um you're very, it is quite funny. She always loves this quote. Like, I don't, I never wanted to work nine to five. So I became an entrepreneur and now I work 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. But the great thing is, is that, you know, doing it together is kind of, you know, even if you're doing that 24 seven, you know, you're kind of always around each other, you know, which is, which is quite nice. And, you know, we're two very different people. Um, you know, we're, we're quite opposites. Um, and which is quite great in, in, in a business sense, because we bring obviously a different person brings a different skill set. So in the beginning, it was finding our place, you know, because in the beginning, when you have one business and you both have ideas and you both are trying to sort of birth this thing in, in the way that you had imagined it, um, there was a bit of conflict in the beginning, you know, you have this opinion, they have that opinion, but we quite soon figured out that, um, each person had what they were really good at. And it's, it's really about allowing that person to, to take that responsibility or that role and just run with it, you know? Um, and then you have yours and you just run with it. And, you really give that person the respect that they have the authority in that part of the business and you have the authority in the other parts of the business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're definitely there to help each other. Um, you know, if, you know, with, with, with whatever they need, but, you know, it's really about allowing each person to bring their strength and to flourish in that strength and have respect for, for what they're doing. Um, and then I think as the, as the businesses grew, um, you know, we opened, uh, another cafe with a roastery attached to it. Then we eventually opened, uh, a bike shop. Um, and as it kind of grew, then in the end, you know, Amber really took on the, the cafes. Um, I mean, the cafes here, they are her 100%. Mm. Um, I roast coffee and the rest she does. Um, and you know, it's, it's, I mean, amazing. She's an incredibly hardworking person. Um, and the amount of time that she commits to the customers and the staff and the, everything that goes into hospitality, I mean, hospitality is, can be a brutal business. You know, it's, it's very, very demanding. Um, you know, it's, it's high turnover on staff, especially in cafes. It's, it's it's many many things that uh, I am so happy I have her because I would not be able to do that at all, um, and yeah. you know it's kind of funny because sometimes I feel I feel kind of 
uh, I feel kind of bad because I'm very much a dreamer and a creative type of person. So, you know, I'll, I'll come up with an idea for a new business. And most of the time she says, well, let's do it. Um, and you know, sometimes it's sort of left brain, right brain, where you kind of come up with the more creative ideas and she's the one who actually brings them to reality. Uh, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of them, we kind of come up together, but she's definitely the one that, uh, keeps them going. <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe uh, talk about that yeah. process of creativity and coming up with yeah. things like the brand name and brand values. It seems yeah. that you're really yeah. good at the process of yeah. going from zero to one. I see you're wearing the t-shirt yeah. for your new business overland. Yeah, sure. We'll get around yeah, to sure. talking about, yeah. but maybe you could yeah. use that yeah. as an example of like, okay, the how did the idea germinate in your brain? And then how did like the brand and name and design and all that stuff come together? Sure. Um, naming is a funny one. We'll always have, uh, you can ask you can ask Amber next time you see her who came up with the name La Fabrica. Um, the <laughs> names are always the ongoing debate of who actually came up with the name. But um, no, I think for me it's kind of generally everything we've done so far has come from, uh, I guess, a a passion and emotion, um, potentially a gap in the market. Um, La Fabrica was born out of. One, it was born out of, okay, we were looking for something to do, but it was mostly born out of that. We came from places. Um, so we were, before we came over, we were living in Vancouver. So we came from the West Coast where, you know, there's a strong coffee culture and a strong cafe culture. And there's a culture of delicious food, brunch, you know, these things that didn't exist in, in most places in Europe. Breakfast is a croissant and, and an espresso. You know, it's not what we know is the avocado toasts and the, you know, the French toasts and all the beautiful things that, you know, you can have for breakfast. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it kind of, it gets born from something like, wow, we're really missing that. Like we are personally missing to go and do that thing. You know what I mean? So the fabric was kind of born of that. Wow. It'd just be nice to have somewhere and go and have a nice coffee like out, like go and sit out somewhere on a terrace in a nice cafe, but have a good coffee, you know? And then, so an Overland, which is the the new run shop, that one sort of came from um, this idea that uh, I was missing something um, personally, which at the time, um, well, I mean, this will kind of tie into the bike shop thing later, but like at the bike shop, I really had this sense of community and I would go there every day and I would meet people and I would talk to people. And it was like, it was like a space for me to just do my thing, you know? Um, and when I left there, uh, in the last year, especially, I really felt like I was kind of missing that place. You know, I would, I, it was, it was great that I had all this time to go running, um, because all I really did was roast coffee. And then the rest of the week, I'd, I had more or less free. So I had a lot of time for training and doing cool things, but at the end, it comes back down to, you know, I think as people, we create, we crave, um, connections with people, like little relationships with people, with community. And it's kind of what brings us together and makes us feel good, you Mm -hmm. know? And 
So then having sort of transitioned in the last couple of years really to mostly running um, and and having launched actually another the the chance which was a which is a trail running apparel brand um not long ago kind of cemented this idea to me of like there's nowhere really in Girona that's a cool place to go and hang out and talk about running and just do runs and and just build a community like a little epicenter where you can always just hang out and meet p- people um yeah. Which is some, which is something that sounds so basic because it's so much more common in North America, but it's so much less common. It feels like here in Spain, particularly. Um, so it's about, you know, essentially, you know, developing that emotion again. And then, to me, my favorite favorite part is is doing the the design and the the layout and and you know, just being able to sort of dive deep into the creative side of, of the actual fit out and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So, and the branding and, and the, the brand feel and all these sorts of things, the things that are really kind of motivating to me and, and really kind of get my, get my motor going. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by BOA Fit System. You all know BOA, the best lacing system ever invented. You know, the dials you see on every pair of Speedland footwear and on a number of other high quality products in the outdoor and endurance sport marketplace. BOA dials ensure the best possible fit and therefore the best possible performance and experience while you are out ripping on the trails. The LI2 dials are what we use on the Speedlands, which offer incredibly customizable fit. You can tighten and loosen them to very precise increments on the fly, all without tying silly shoelaces. Seriously, it's 2022. Who ties their shoes anymore? Once you go BOA, you never go back. These dials will change your life and make your feet much happier. To learn more about BOA, visit boafit.com. Follow them on Instagram at boafitsystem. Thanks to BOA for their support. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. Are you tinkering with your race day nutrition strategy? Are you finding that the nonstop consumption of energy gels and chews leaves you with intense taste fatigue and sugar overdose? Well, I have some advice for you, something I've done for years now. That is, drink your calories. I've tried everything on the market and I am here to tell you that not all drink mixes are created equal. The Gnarly Fuel 2.0 drink mix is by far the best that I've tried for both taste and energy supply. Fuel 2.0 is the bomb, especially the cherry cola flavor. That is my absolute favorite. It has all the carbohydrates, the electrolytes, the amino acids to power you along your trail adventures. Two more things that make it amazing. One, it is NSF certified for sport, so you don't have to worry about unintentionally ingesting any banned substances. And two, they come in both multi-serving bags and single-serving pouches. I typically use the big bag, but in case I use a single-serve stick in a race or a long training run where I need to refill my bottles, the sticks are actually easy to open. It's a miracle. We've all fumbled with drink mix pouches that are impossible to tear open on the run. Is there anything more frustrating? Well, Gnarly somehow solved for that too. So go grab some Fuel 2.0 drink mix at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchase. Gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15. So I want to talk more about the 
cycling shop as opposed to the running shop. And I know that was a transformative kind of and challenging moment in your career. But before we get to it, I wonder if maybe you'd like to share, obviously like hip cycling cafes have become a phenomenon now. And it seems like La Fabrica was an early pioneer in this genre of Mm. business. But one of the things that I think is, you know, a common theme in all the businesses that you've started is that they sort of lie at the intersection of sport and lifestyle, sport and culture. Can you talk about why that intersection is such a rich, fertile ground from which to build something cool in the world? Well, I think I think the important part about that and what you notice is is at the end of the day, I think to build a business that there's a lot of great businesses in the world, but there's businesses that you walk into and you feel something else. Like there's a little bit something different and a little bit something more there. And that generally to me comes one, when the owners are there and the owners are involved. And when you meet those people and what has to come through is the authenticity. To me, that's the number one important factor. If you want to start any business and you want to be successful, it has to be authentic. And because the amount of time that you're going to put in, it only makes sense that it's something that comes naturally from you. Mm-hmm. So like for us, La Fabrica, to me, cycling was natural. It's what I did. You know, it's what I was I spent my life doing. Coffee was what I absolutely loved. Um, my wife loved sort of the brunches with the flowers on it and like beautiful presentation. And, and, and she loves the, her big thing is customer interaction and and training staff to be friendly and engaging and, and professional. And so I think what you see when you see it as sort of this intersection of, of sport, um, and cafe and lifestyle, um, I think what you're seeing in, in the cases here are, those are just what what we are um yeah like that is who we are as as founders and who we are as as people and probably also what you notice because you are also in sports so when you go to a place that is like that you can really identify with it and you feel very comfortable there and it feels very natural to you but you know i think authenticity is the key word for for people who are are trying to build something. It's just so much easier to build it when you are passionate about it and it's your thing. Beautiful, beautifully said. So going back to the story of the cycling shop, it hasn't all been easy for you in your professional career. When we were going for a run in Girona, you were telling me about a business that you had where the relationship didn't work out. It was a business that you cared deeply about and the experience forced you to confront a new part of yourself or helped you to realign yourself with your values and with your intentions. Can you talk about that experience and what you learned from it? Sure. Um, I mean, I think throughout a, a career in either sports or a career in business or a career in, uh, you know, it's, it's probably very naive to think that everything is going to work out as you plan it to work out, um, right? Uh, we've all DNF from races and we've all, uh, you know, gotten sick or had injuries or had things that we didn't expect or didn't didn't want to happen. But um, 
Yeah, so when we uh, opened La Fabrica, then Espresso Mafia, and then the same year we opened another cycling business. And that business we actually um, became quite successful very quickly. Um, we were doing a lot of really cool things, uh, you know, with custom bikes and, and and these amazing trips and 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 everything. And we got approached to expand the business. Um, and we decided to, to try it. I mean, we, we'd never tried, um, we've never, we had never taken on any investment to try to grow a business. Um, and we hadn't in that point tried to grow a business internationally. Um, so we decided we would do it and, uh, you know, we jumped in and then, you know, we opened another three locations across sort of, uh, Scandinavia and, and the rest of Europe. And, um, yeah, it became it became uh, a beast. You know, it became uh, something quite big, and you know, it became um, you know a board, and it became investors, and it became a a lot of things that you know. I think it, it's a tricky one because you know I definitely think back now would I would I do the same thing again? I probably would because I think you know at the end there's moments that there are certain moments you wish you, you, you hadn't have gone through, but overall the experience was, was so like you said, sort of enlightening because you, then you start to see how it's going and then it starts to maybe reaffirm your personal goals and your personal values um, and how those stand versus a big company. Um, and there's all, there's obviously big companies that do amazing jobs. Um, and, but for me, in my case, I mean, like <laughs> it didn't quite work out how, how I expected it, that it would work out. Um, and then I ended up leaving, leaving that business, um, sort of for personal reasons. And, but it was a very difficult period for me because that business was, you know, my wife, she like La Fabrica is her, is her baby. You know, it's, it's her number one and something she pours herself into every single day. Um, and the second shop was that, that was that for me. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it was my sort of creative outlet. It was like I mentioned before, that place where I found community, um, where I had a team and, and it was, um, something that just allowed me to express myself in, in every way that I enjoyed. And leaving that was kind of a very difficult period for me because, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I mean, it meant so much to you and then it's kind of gone, you know? And then I had that, uh, transition that was kind of to like, it's quite funny because initially you kind of go to this, well, okay, actually like now I'm not really, not really working. So I'm kind of like semi-retired. Uh, this is cool. But then you start to realize that, you know, it's harder then it's like, well, okay, well, what am I doing? You know, um, I love my sport, but I only need to do so much sport a day. And you start to think like, okay, well, what, what can I do? And, and at that period that actually led me to, reestablishing kind of what I felt were sort of the pillars of, of a business, um, which to me was sort of providing jobs for people, providing a product that enriched someone's life. And then at the same, in the last few years, I've become particularly conscious of, 
of the environment and our impact on the environment, uh, my personal impact on the environment. And so that sustainability issue became, you know, very important to me. So I decided that the third pillar is, it should be either a, a social, um, and a social initiative or an environmental initiative. And I decided, well, I would try to build a business that could function and be sustainable while being based on those three pillars rather than being one of those pillars being based on profits. Mm-hmm. Um, so that led me to launch a, a trail running brand called Chance um, with a friend of mine here in Girona. And, you know, diving into that and kind of was, was came at the, at the perfect moment, you know, because, um, it was a moment where, I mean, I think we're all very conscious of what's going on and, and we're trying to, to help that as best we can. And, you know, sport is, is the best way that I feel I can, I can make a difference and, and make a business because sport is what I understand. Um, and I was deeply going down the rabbit hole of, I was deep down the rabbit hole of running, which is a whole other, uh, topic. So, you know, it came quite organic. But wasn't, wasn't this, this period of of self-introspection sort of when you found trail running and maybe you could paint the picture of, uh, your attitude at that point, did it reawaken a spirit of curiosity or joy that maybe you lost with this bike shop and, you know, with your further disconnection from your life as a professional cyclist? Yeah, it was a really interesting time. I mean, I kind of got into trail because, I mean, COVID changed a lot of people's lives. Uh, Here, we had a particularly heavy lockdown, like three months not going outdoors. I mean, you could go outdoors to walk your dog or go to the grocery store. um, And the rest of the time, you were inside. And then... When they opened it up slowly, we were still initially confined to our municipality. So you could go out at first and do sport for like one hour or two hours, but you had to stay essentially within your town limits, which meant like going for a bike ride was (laughs) terrible. So I, I always kind of run a little bit sometimes in our off seasons, um, but then I, during that period, I just got into running because we have these beautiful hills back here that, you know, we ran in together. Um, and you just put your shoes on, you're out there in five minutes and yeah, you run around for an hour and you feel like you're, um, you've kind of done something, you know? Um, and then it was kind of this whole thing of, 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 uh, wow, I'm really bad at running. Um, which is super amazing because, uh, I love the challenge of, of that growth, um, which also sort of maybe comes from doing new business and doing things. It's kind of like pushing yourself, learning something new, developing something new. And, you know, cycling is, is great, but I kind of, I mean, I had reached my pinnacle as, as a cyclist and I will never probably get there again. And I will definitely never supersede that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but as a runner, I felt like, this is the first, I, I absolutely a novice. Like I was really where I was when I was, you know, 15 starting my first bike ride. Uh, and that's such an amazing feeling Yeah. because when you feel that, 
you know, you, well, <laughs> you get better, you get better. The first period is absolutely brutal because running like cycling is a hard sport, but it's very easy. Like to me, running is so much harder because obviously you have impact. It's harder on the body. You need to take care of yourself more in terms of, you know, stretching, foam rolling. Like you really, as a cyclist, I never stretched. I never foam rolled. <laughs> I never did core work. You know, and it was just like, it just wasn't, I mean, you were kind of this weak thing riding around on a bike, but like you didn't need it. Like it was just legs and lungs. So that's it, you know? Yeah. Um, so like, so when I transitioned to running, it was like going uphill was amazing. I could, you know, but downhill on the flat like i was so slow and but the issue was to me starting out was it's that classic athlete's mentality of like oh well i was a professional so yeah sure i can go and do 20k on the first day i run like it's what i do and but it 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 you know it hammered me and uh the first year of running i probably spent close to half the year not running just because I had all the injuries, you know, all <laughs> the injuries. And, you know, I just realized like, it's just, you know, it just set me straight. It's like, no, you are not skipping any steps. You know, yeah. you're starting at the bottom like everyone else. And, you know, you just have to put in your time. And that's the only way you're going to sort of get to being, you know, uh, a good runner. So it's, but it's an absolutely amazing. I mean, to me, it's it's such an amazing sport. I mean, trail running is so beautiful, and it feels so much like a natural extension of of sort of cycling and gravel riding and mountain biking, where it's kind of like, you know, you can get so far on the bike, but on by foot you can really reach, you know, the last peaks, or you can reach the the most remote areas, or you can, yeah, you can just move. And then to think like, to me, it was always so, especially when I was starting, inspiring to think like to run a hundred kilometers or a hundred miles, like you're covering serious ground, like yeah. 160, 160 kilometer bike ride is quite far, Yeah, you know, but to think, you know, you're going to, I'm going to, well, I have not run 160 K yet, but to run that far, just purely by human uh, force and human movement is actually incredible. And I think sometimes um, for guys like yourself who've been in it so long, and even to a certain extent for myself who have not been in it very long, it's you kind of forget that you kind of are not disconnected enough from that to realize how mm. kind of insane it is. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, and I remember when I did my first year running, I did a 50K you know, my first ultra here. Cause I kind of like straight away want to do ultras. Yeah. I'm going to do ultras. Yeah. For yeah sure. Of course. <laughs> I did it. Exactly. I did a 50 K and I remember I was out there running and I was like, Holy shit. I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah. Like I'm running 50 kilometers. Like that's insane. And then, you know, that was my first one. Then, you know, by the end of that year, I did a hundred K and then, you know, this year I did some hundred K's. And it becomes very easy to forget, man, that's really far. And yeah, yeah. to kind of forget that kind of emotion of like, man, I'm out here doing something that's like pretty wild, you know, like it's mm -hmm. pretty heavy. And, uh, and I think that's super cool. And, uh, you know, the challenge is to go along with it and, and having, you know, getting out there and, and taking on something that, 
you know, you actually really don't know if you're going to be able to finish yeah. or like it's that big and of a it challenge. It seems like there's just no, like, it, it's a blank canvas, you know, when you're a former professional cyclist coming into yeah. a new sport yeah. that obviously utilizes a lot of the same aerobic skills, but everything else is new and different and it becomes a yeah. fresh place from which you can be creative, uh, given your propensity to do so. Let's talk about the significance of place a little bit, because I was in Girona for the first time just a couple of weeks ago, and you were a fantastic ambassador for your adopted hometown while I was there. Maybe paint the picture of what makes it special for those who've never been, but also I, what I'd love to hear you talk about in this theme of significance of place is the feeling of, mm. you know, em- employing people in the community and contributing to the local economy with your various businesses in a world of digital ventures. Can you talk about the value of having physical businesses and being part of the fabric of your community? Yeah, sure. Um, so kind of starting with Girona, I mean, Girona is a, quite small towns has a population around 200,000. Uh, it's very old. Um, it's kind of from the Roman days. We've got a very big cathedral, which is quite cool. Uh, they filmed game of Thrones here and a couple of other films. It's a very small compact, like you would imagine little alleys and stairs and, and cobblestones and all that sort of stuff. And so my, I mean, my apartment that I live in is, is, would be older than the country that I grew up in. Um, so it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, this apartment's gotta be, I mean, it'd be five, 600 years old for sure. Um, this oh. building. Um, so it has a sort of quaintness to it. Um, in the last years, it's, it has a really strong, um, food scene. I mean, we have in town, uh, El Salar Canroca, which was, I think three years, at least three years, it was the number one restaurant in the world. Um, and so that's, we've got amazing wine growing regions. Um, it's kind of this perfect little, we're about 40 minutes by train from Barcelona. Um, what else can say? The riding is amazing. We can, you can ride to the Costa Brava. So you can be at the Mediterranean in an hour and a bit by bike, or you can be riding in the high Pyrenees. Um, so it's that perfect little mix of everything. And, Physical locations. I mean, I think it's something really interesting because as things get more and more digital, um, like I was explaining to you earlier, I think what makes it so amazing about, you know, being in a type of business that is a bricks and mortar um, and also in hospitality, which is where you generally see people. it can be multiple times per day, but usually, I mean, if you have a nice cafe and you have your local community, they come every day, every other day. So you, there's interactions, but I think it's that connection. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's sort of what I mentioned earlier. We crave micro connections when you interact with someone and they just give you a hello or a smile, you know, there's kind of these dopamine releases and you just feel good. And I think that's something that is, I guess I wouldn't say undervalued these days because we still crave that. And I think we sort of saw that during COVID because when we had a real lack of that, it really affected a lot of people um, uh, very, 
very much so. And getting back to that, we've seen since COVID, like how much people have become almost more extroverted, more people like everybody's going out for dinner or out for lunch, you know, because there was so much time where we didn't have that. Um, and then, you know, I think overall building something in a community that becomes, has this feeling of being sort of integral or, or, I mean, we're, we're very, very proud of what La Fabrica has brought to Girona. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of difficult to say without feeling like you're, you're being sort of, you know, cocky or arrogant, but like La Fabrica was, I believe was quite crucial in developing what the city is today in terms of, of the cycle tourism. And, and, you know, I think all of the businesses have been very crucial because they've always been some of the, the first ones uh, to introduce something to the city. Um, they have been very, you know, very um, fundamental to the growing of, of, of the city. And it's something you take a lot of pride in. Um, you know, it's, it's also one of these things that once in a while you have to make sure that you take the time to step back and realize and look at it from a different mm-hmm. perspective of not just, you know, worrying about, you know, if that customer liked his coffee or not, you know, you have to kind of step back to see the bigger picture once in a while and, and to take it in and, and to realize that you are having a positive impact. Um, and, you know, the, the employees, is is um my wife actually right now she's she's writing a book about how to open a cafe (laughs) her biggest chapter is is about employees you know because they're it's sort of this they can break your heart and they can also like fill it with joy you know um but you know when even if you just have, she has uh, a core group of, of people that work for her that are young people that, you know, have grown to show a certain responsibility. Um, you've seen them grow as people, you know, our manager in La Fabrica, I mean, she's only 25 and she is the manager only because she showed that it was something she was capable of and she wanted to do and wanted to take on. And you see these young people in a very developmental period of their lives where you, you provide them an opportunity to, to flourish and to grow and to see them take it and run with it is super special, you know, because there are those, the majority that probably doesn't happen, but there's, that core group where you're like, wow, you, you've really made an impact in that particular person's life and their mm-hmm. development in their life. And that is really, really cool feeling, you know? Yeah. Very, very cool. So let's finish by talking about Overland. The, the shop opened up on Saturday. So big congratulations to you. I got to see the skeleton of the shop while I was there a couple of weeks ago. And I can't wait to see the finished product next time I come and visit you there. So, you know, as you've become more ingrained in the trail community, was it quickly apparent that there was an opportunity to create something in this market? And with all you had going on at the time already, what gave you the inspiration to get Overland off the ground? And and also kind of what's the long-term vision for it? 
Yeah, I mean, Overland. I mean, Overland is interesting. Trail running is interesting. Is particularly interesting to me, and we talked about this on our on our run quite a bit. And where it is right now, and the opportunities that lie in specifically more trail running prior than trail running in general. And it's this amazing little moment that you can kind of, I mean, I feel I can only kind of maybe notice it because I saw it happen in cycling like 10 years ago. Um, but we're at this perfect little intersection where things are starting to get interesting, where we're having cool brands are starting, you know, Speedland obviously is a great example. All right. In your hometown. And People are looking for more interesting things. They're looking, you know, these brands are popping up. If it's like, you know, like someone like Satisfy, I feel has had a very big impact on, on a segment of the market. And at the same time, these sort of boutique shops where people want to go and, and they want to hang out and they want to see cool stuff and they want to, you know, be a part of a community. And, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's different. It's kind of a different beast. And I think there's a point for, um, for many of the brands that we see, see today and the same sort of with the, the shops, you know, when there was a handful of, of sort of these boutique type shops, um, be it above category, um, or, you know, I would probably categorize ourselves as one of those early adopters of that. And now they're kind of, you know, like you said, they're kind of a dime a dozen, really. It's just kind of this cool mix of things happening. We're starting to get these sort of uh, smaller independent running shops opening that are, you know, trying to do things a bit different, more focused around community, representing these smaller brands. So it's just this cool moment and that this cool influx of content coming in from different places. So I don't know, I just feel like we're at this this tipping point or this this push off point of what's going to be probably a really interesting next five, 10 years in, in the running world. Um, and for me, probably a little bit more specifically the trail world and the, the road world, but, you know, overland kind of is, is to me that, that idea of just a cool shop that you'd want to go and hang out in that has a cool aesthetic that, you know, you just, anyone could appreciate if they walked in the door. Yeah. Um, and then sort of representing those, up and coming, ultra cool brands, um, you know, focused on community, you know, a fridge with some beers, coffee machine going like, to me, this is kind of what I, what sport. I would love to do. You know, <laughs> that's the shop I want to hang out in. Yeah. Sport meets lifestyle, exactly. sport meets culture. It's exactly. such a, yeah. It's but a, then, go ahead. But, but then also like kind of what you're, you know, essentially, I guess what you're trying to do with free trail at the same time is provide, you know, this cool sort of different content that's more, you know, immersive with talking to all kinds of people about all segments of sport. I mean, you cover the races and obviously you 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 do some hosting at races, but then, you know, telling cool stories about just people. You know, I think at the end of the day, that is kind of where we're we're moving to as as a culture and and you know, the interesting thing about and the cool thing about trail is that it can be that more, it can kind of be whatever you want it to be. You know, yeah. you go to UTMB and you can go to race or you can go to just, you know, run around the mountain with your friends. It um, does feel like a particularly 
advantageous moment to start businesses in trail, doesn't it? With your point that we're maybe yeah, 10 yeah. years behind cycling right now, there is an opportunity and there has mm-hmm. been a movement of these new independent smaller brands of which, you know, obviously I'm involved with Speedland and it sounds like maybe Speedland mm-hmm. might be offered in, in the Overland shop, which we hope to yes, sir. achieve yes, here sir. in the near future. But do you, would you agree that yeah. now is a particularly opportune moment for our listening audience to think about creative ways that they could build the life of their dreams and build the livelihood of their dreams and the career of their dreams within sport? Definitely. I think trails got so much growth opportunity and it's also just, you know, I mean, all running has great communities, but, you know, I think there's just so much there and so many great people. And I think it's just, you know, being out in nature and, and enjoying all that, which is becoming more and more important, yeah. you know, as our world's more digitized, it's like getting out there and spending time you know, maybe even leaving your phone at home and you go for some runs and just, um, actually the other day, it's a funny story. <laughs> uh, next funny, but not funny. Um, I love birds. Like I love hearing the birds singing. Uh, and I realized the other day, uh, cause last year I was particularly like disconnected and I was very kind of, uh, absorbing the world around me. And I felt that was very sort of connected with the world around me and disconnected from the digital world and this year there's been quite a few things going on getting the shop going getting getting chance the apparel brand up and running and i was running the other day and i was running in this beautiful piece of single track and i heard the birds like chirping and singing and and doing their thing and i just saw man like that like i've just felt like i've not heard that in so long but it's it's there the whole time. I mean, they've never been not singing. Yeah. But I realized this last period of, of these last few months, it's like, I just, I haven't been listening uh. to them singing, you know? And I was like, it really hit me that moment. Like, man, like, you know, you got to get sort of connected with the world around you again oh. um, and sort of step a bit out, step a bit outside of that, that, you know, it's too, it's too easy these days to be, you know, in that, and let's say connected to the, to the digital world. I mean, it's, uh, it's way too easy. So I think it's a good opportunity to remind ourselves to, you know, leave the phone at home once in a while and get out there and just listen to the birds. Love it. Well, Christian, man, we're running out of time, but, um, man, such a fun conversation and congratulations on the opening of overland i'll put links in the show notes so that people can check out all your various different projects thanks so much for the inspiration you've provided for me and free trail as a recent follower of yours i really admire all the wonderful things that you've been able to build in the build in the world and i look forward to stay in touch and uh thanks so much for coming on the show yeah well thank you very much for having me and thank you very much for uh your kind words and uh Hope to spend some more time running back yeah. over here. Yeah, I'm coming, man. I'm coming. Cool, cool. Awesome. Thanks again, man. Thanks so much to Christian. What a fun conversation. I hope you all enjoyed it. I certainly did. Oftentimes the episodes where we talk very little about the X's and O's of running end up being 
my favorites. To learn more about Christian and his various brands and businesses, visit the links in the show notes. I included his personal Instagram account and the accounts of La Fabrica, his world famous cafe in Girona, and also the account of Overland Running Provisions, his latest venture that we talked about at length in this episode. Free Trail Pro members, I would love to hear what you thought. Jump in the Slack, let me know your feedback, let me know what you learned, what you appreciated from Christian's perspective, what topics you want us to tackle in the future. For those who are not Free Trail Pro members, please do join us. You'll find a link to membership here in the show notes. A big thank you to our sponsors, Speedland, runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the latest GS TAM pre-order. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 off all their wonderful sports nutrition supplements, BOA, boafit.com to check out the best fit system on the planet. That is it for now. One final episode coming soon to wrap up the year. A lot of huge things coming in 2023. Very exciting. Happy holidays. Love you so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.